Hello all, welcome to episode 29 of Strangest Fiction. I'm your host, Austin Miller, and today we are embarking on the journey that is the making of Star Wars. This was the most requested topic on Instagram. You can follow me there over at Strange As Fiction Podcast, where I did a poll kind of seeing what topics you guys want to talk about most, and this one beat out the others. So it's kind of a big undertaking. Um, Obviously, a lot of history and lore there. So I'm going to break it up into three parts. So the next three episodes, uh, we'll be covering the making of Star Wars, the history behind the story, uh, how it came to be, and there's just so much there to talk about. It's so interesting. Uh, excited to dive into it, and today will be part one. Um, also, I want to thank everyone for making my last episode, episode 28, the Thanksgiving episode, the most listened to episode I've ever done. Um, y'all really enjoyed the history of Thanksgiving, and I uh, appreciate y'all all listening and tuning in there. Um, this week, you know, on, on the, uh, pop culture front, I finished Andor finally, and I gotta say, uh, I think that's in lead contention for best show of the year for me. I'll probably do a countdown on social media there of my, my favorite films and shows of the year. In fact, maybe I'll do an episode here. Maybe we'll do like kind of a wrap up end of New Year's show where we'll just talk about our favorite shows and movies. Um, maybe I'll have my buddy Parker Stanley join us for that one. So, uh, I also finished the Guardians holiday special with, uh, Kevin Bacon and the Guardians of the Galaxy crew. Thought that was a really fun time. And still watching Tulsa King. Episode 3 dropped this week. That's a Sylvester Stallone show where he's kind of this gangster that's been in prison for 25 years. Gets released. The mob gives him the territory of Tulsa, Oklahoma. It's kind of like a demotion. Even though he spent 25 years in silence, never ratted on them. Um, He's out there building his empire in Tulsa, Oklahoma and getting introduced to the modern world of things like uh, pronouns and the word triggered and just kind of having to readjust to this, uh, you know, state of modernity you know so it's a really funny show really enjoying it um and so is my family so uh that's kind of what i've been up to finally moved into our new house so i'm able to record in peace here um and you know as as usual we'll we'll start off the show with some news dive into what's dropping this week and then finally get into our deep dive topic which is the making of star wars For our first bit of news, we have Disney's Strange World tanking at the box office. That was their most uh, recent kind of Thanksgiving family release they did, um, an animated film, uh, and it opened to just $18 domestically, so they're set to lose about $147 million. So they're falling way short of their projected uh, return on this film. Uh, Kind of interesting because, you know, they have these things that, you know, they've been messing with releasing things on Disney Plus versus in theaters. And they chose to release films like Hocus Pocus 2, Disenchanted, which is the follow-up to Ella Enchanted, uh, and Guardians of the Galaxy Holiday Special, which obviously a ton of Marvel fans out there. They, They chose to release those films on Disney Plus while choosing to release this kind of unknown property with not much advertising around it in theaters. Uh, that Those other films would have done gangbusters. Like, no doubt those things would have pulled in a ton of money. Um, and they kind of, I feel like they kind of dropped the ball. They could have flip-flopped the release and released some of these other films in theaters while testing out this new property on Disney Plus. That doesn't mean I want them to always, 
you know, just use recycled content for theaters and never take risks. But it's just kind of interesting from a business perspective. Uh, via deadline, Disney has a history of launching a family animated title over Thanksgiving. Audiences come to expect that. That alone is of significant reputation value to Disney in meeting their fans' demands. So essentially, you know, uh, the response was that, hey, they always release a family film near Thanksgiving, and that means more to their brand than the actual money uh, from the release itself. Mm, that sounds like someone trying to keep their job <laughs> more than a true statement, but that brings us to our next point, which is Bob Iger replacing Bob Chapek as the CEO of Disney. Bob Iger was president and CEO for about 15 years, retired. Then Chapek took over in 2020 and only lasted two years before Iger got the call back. Iger is said to be more of like a Wall Street friendly CEO. Take that how you will. If that's a good thing, bad thing. Um, and Chapek wasn't very beloved. In fact, he got booed at the D23 event this year. Granted, he did take over at a very difficult time during COVID. So, you know, to come in as a new CEO and fill some big shoes with Bob Iger and during the time of a pandemic, you know, that's a big ask, but he didn't he didn't live up to the task and they're boomeranging Bob Iger, putting him back in the chair. Uh, and I think they're hoping for big things business wise from him. I don't know the exact quote, but I read somewhere that like the day he got back in the office, he said, I want everyone to bring your best ideas to my desk by X amount of time today. So he, he came in with kicking down doors. Um, he wants he wants some good ideas. He thinks Disney is stale um, and kind of did a whole Elon Musk uh, pull up your bootstraps kind of um, first day in the office. So uh, be interesting to see what changes come with Bob Iger back in the uh, captain's chair there. And uh, another news, we have Bellatrix Lestrange, a.k.a. Helena Bonham Carter, sticking up for J.K. Rowling and Johnny Depp in decrying cancel culture. Via The Hollywood Reporter, during an interview with The Times that published on Saturday, Bonham Carter criticized the notion that someone's personal life should impact their career. Do you ban a genius for their sexual practices? There would be millions of people who, if you look closely enough at their personal life, you would disqualify them. You can't ban people. I hate cancel culture. It has become quite hysterical, and there's a kind of a witch hunt. Witch hunt? Wink, wink. Uh, kind of a witch hunt there, and a lack of understanding. Now it's worth noting that she has a personal relationship with JK Rowling and Johnny Depp is the godfather of two of her kids. So definitely a personal uh, bias there. Um, but I do respect her for standing up for her friends and in, in what she believes. Look, we all have different beliefs and not every artist, athlete, performer is going to share our exact belief systems and that's okay. Not every piece of art needs to be for us specifically. Each can have its own audience. Um, we don't always have to, uh, you know, attack the whole because maybe we don't agree with part. But you know, I do get, I do understand. It does get kind of tricky out there. It's there. Maybe athlete does something and it becomes hard to root for them because you know they did something reprehensible or. Maybe Roman Polanski uh, movies are hard to watch after you find out about him or Woody Allen. And it's just kind of this time old question of can we separate the art from the artist? And everyone has their own personal lines and that they draw on the sand. But it's just kind of feels like it's gone too far to the point we're just searching for something to disagree with or hate in, in everybody. And, uh, you know, I hope we can find a happy medium there. Just so the conversation can be back on the art, right? That's, the, that's what's the fun, most fun to talk about. About. That's why I do this. I enjoy talking about the art, the history, these kind of things. Um, you know, maybe some people enjoy all the political aspects and drama, but that's not me. And I don't think that's most of you. 
Um, okay, so that you know that pretty much wraps it up for news. Pretty light week, but we have a couple of new releases, two to be exact, that I think are noteworthy. Uh, Friday, December 2nd, we have the Netflix show Senior coming out. Now, this is uh, Robert Downey Jr. did a film profiling his famous father, who their relationship, you know, wasn't always uh, smooth, but, uh, you know, they had a loving relationship. And, you know, Robert Downey kind of want to do this sweet but honest look at his father in his last years. Via IndieWire, a prominent figure in the independent and countercultural culture film scene in the 60s and 70s, Downey Sr. is best known for his 1969 film, Putney Swope, a vicious satire of the New York advertising world that has been cited as an influence from acclaimed directors like Paul Thomas Anderson and Jim Jarmusch. Of course, today, many probably know D- Downey Sr. better as the father of his son, Robert Downey Jr., who developed a much more mainstream level of fame through acting, particularly as Iron Man in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Filmed across the last three years of Downey Sr.'s life, Sr. profiles the filmmaker's career and features extensive interviews between him and his son about his career, his relationship with his third wife, Rosemary Rogers, and his attempts to finish his final film project. The movie also features focuses on Downey Jr.'s struggles to accept his father's morality as the man's health begins to decline. So that looks more, you know, like a serious, uh, dramatic documentary. It's probably going to have some tender moments as well, some tough moments to watch. But on Rotten Tomatoes, I think it had a perfect score last I checked. So it's getting really good reviews. Uh, it may be worth checking out. Uh, next, we have Willow dropping on Disney Plus uh, the same day. So and it's uh, Willow is, you know, of course, the film from the 80s and this is a tv series spinoff that um is featuring many of the same actors from the original film and according to disney's website an epic period fantasy feature series with a modern sensibility set in an enchanted land of breathtaking beauty willow features a diverse international cast with jonathan kasdan ron howard wendy marisol kathleen kennedy and michelle rejuan serving as executive producers the story began with an aspiring magician from newland village and an infant girl destined to unite the realms, who together help destroy an evil queen and banish the forces of darkness. Now, in a magical world where brownies, sorcerers, trolls, and other mystical creatures flourish, the adventure continues as an unlikely group of heroes set off on a dangerous quest to places far beyond their home where they must face their inner demons and come together to save their world. This is a show I'll be checking out. I mean, I have Disney+. Plus. Might as well check it out. I never saw the original movie. I don't plan on watching it beforehand, but if the show is good enough, uh, I might go back and watch that just to kind of see where all this came from. Uh, but, you know, Disney Plus has been putting out some good stuff lately. Uh, we'll see if this is just more generic fantasy, tropey kind of stuff, or if there's really some heart and soul in this one. All right, so that wraps it up for news and new drops. And let's move on to the main topic for today, the deep dive, the making and history of Star Wars. The Star Wars film series is one of those rare films that transcends the medium to become part of the culture, something people quote and reference decades later that continues to inspire new chapters and spin-offs and that many people build their identity around. It pioneered many new film techniques, would go on to win six Academy Awards, become one of the highest grossing film series of all time, and completely rewrote the rules for lucrative licensing deals. As Carrie Fisher chided, every time I look in the mirror I have to send Lucas a couple of bucks. Not bad for a movie with a somewhat troubled production that seemingly came out of nowhere. 
After graduating from USC in 1967, filmmaker George Lucas co-founded the studio American Zoetrope with his pal, Francis Ford Coppola. Fresh out of film school, he wrote and directed the sci-fi movie THX 1138. While the film was a critical success, it was a financial failure. But his next film would change all that. 1973's American Graffiti was a smash, both financially and critically, winning five Academy Award nominations. This success would give him a green light to take on Star Wars. Not able to get the rights to the Flash Gordon comics he loved as a kid, he had already been making up a story of his own since 1971. Now let's take a look at what was going on in 1971. The New York Times begins to publish sections of the Pentagon Papers. The voting age in the US is lowered to 18. Walt Disney World theme park is open in Florida. Soviet Union launches the first space station. Perhaps a little influence there. And a new stock market index called the NASDAQ debuted that year. Average cost of a new house was $25,000, income was $10,000, and the average movie ticket price in 1971 was just $1.50. Now I say that just so you have a little taste of maybe what was going on at the time that George was formulating this script. Once the script was ready, George shopped it around and got a lot of no's from studios, including Universal Pictures, which had financed American Graffiti. Disney also rejected it. Ironic, as they would come back decades later to buy the property for $4 billion. 20th Century Fox finally agreed to fund the project. Many changes were made from George's original ideation to what we now know as Star Wars. Originally, Han Solo was set to be a fish-like alien. Luke Skywalker was Luke Starkiller, and not even the main protagonist. After four script changes, the final version was ready two months before shooting. Much of it was inspired by real-life history, the iconic Jedi Knight being inspired by the Knights Templar, a medieval religious order of knights who formed a patrol organization that spanned across Europe with the task of protecting Christian pilgrims. The order became wealthy and caught the attention of a French king who desired their riches and preceded their downfall. In one of George's early manuscripts, there is even a mention of not Jedi Knights, but Jedi Templar. Of course, in the film, we are first introduced to the way of the Jedi via Alec Guinness's iconic character, Obi-Wan Kenobi. But off the screen, Guinness was not always such a believer in George's screenplay. In a letter to a friend, he writes, My dear Anne, I have returned to London this evening for my stint at the studio for the rest of the week. Can't say I am enjoying the film. New rubbish dialogue reaches me every other day on wages of pink paper, and none of it makes my character clear or even bearable. I just think thankfully of the lovely bread which will help me keep going until next April, even if Yahoo collapses in a week. I must off to studio and work with the dwarf, very sweet, and he has to wash in a bidet, and your fellow countrymen Mark Hamill and Tennyson that can't be right. Ford Elson? No. Well, a rangy, languid young man who was probably intelligent and amusing, but oh god god, they make me feel 90 and treat me as if I was 106. Love, Alec. Harrison Ford? Ever heard of him? Yes, Alec, we've heard of him. But prior to Star Wars, with a few brief film appearances such as American Graffiti and Gunsmoke, not many had. In fact, at the age of 34, Harrison was still mostly supporting his family through his carpentry work. George was weary the movie might become American Graffiti in space if he brought on any ensemble cast and was adamantly against Harrison or anyone else playing a part in his latest film. Casting director Fred Roos was a believer in Harrison, who had done some carpentry work for him and invited him to the studio to fix the door. At the same time he was working on the door, a casting call for Star Wars was happening and George ended up asking Harrison to help out. Not by trying out, but by feeding lines to others who were auditioning. The carpenter ended up stealing the show and beating out the likes of Kurt Russell, Christopher Walken, and Nick Nolte, who formally auditioned for the role. Han Solo, of course, is nothing without his on-screen and later revealed in Carrie Fisher's memoir, Off-Screen Romance with Princess Leia. Princess Leia is one of those fascinating characters that seems to be mean many things for many people. To some, she is a feminist icon. To others, she is a golden bikini-clad sex symbol. And yet another plucking from history, George Lucas stated that in the 1977 film, I was working very hard to create something different that wasn't fashion. So I wanted the kind of southwestern Pancho Villa woman revolutionary look. 
the Bonds are basically from the turn of the century Mexico. Unlike Harrison Ford, it's fair to say Carrie did not come from the same background. She was the apple that fell straight from the Hollywood tree. Carrie Frances Fisher was born in Beverly Hills, California in 1956, the daughter of singer Eddie Fisher and the actress Debbie Reynolds. Carrie was just 19 when she landed the role, and in her audition tape, you can hear Harrison Ford's voice behind the camera feeding her lines. Her audition tape is strong, but her voice is quiet and breathy. She later said she felt, with all the explosions and noises on the movie set, she had to shout for her lines to be heard. Of course, no Star Wars history can be complete without its titular blue milk drinking character Luke Skywalker played by Mark Hamill. While we can sense skepticism from some cast members and filmmakers early on, Luke seems to fall in the George category of someone who had a level of confidence that would be a successful film series. Originally cast for a role on another project, Mark Hamill asked to be released so he could appear in Star Wars. Clearly the Force told him it was going to be a smash hit. The producers agreed to let him walk. Despite his bravado in many ways, Luke Skywalker represented the real-life actor, plucked from seemingly nowhere and asked to carry the full weight of the universe. When he was auditioning, however, he was kept mostly in the dark not realizing he was even auditioning for the protagonist's role until he started reading his lines. Quote, Because when I tested, I figured Harrison's a leading man, so I thought, I'm playing a sidekick, right? Reading it, I'm going, wait a second. Wasn't I reading for Luke's Starkiller? Later changed to Star Skywalker. This can't be right. I was just astonished. Luke sometimes gets some flack for being kind of a wormy, naive character in the first movie, but Hamill says he was well aware it would be a trilogy, and this was part of his character arc. Regularly cited as the, quote, best Star Wars film, Skywalker takes a leap of maturity in the second film, The Empire Strikes. Back. Empire Strikes Back is where we see the Shakespearean arc, where Vader informs him, Luke, I am your father, and really gets to know the evil that lies within perhaps the most iconic character of the entire franchise, Darth Vader. Darth Vader was yet another character inspired by a real-life historical figure, the samurai who wore black armor, Date Masumane. Like Vader, Masumane was a compl complicated character, both charitable and vengeful. The samurai wore black armor and a pronounced helmet like Vader. George was heavily inspired by Eastern religion. It was the 70s after all and even served as producer on Akira Kurosawa's samurai film, Kagemusha. Despite being shut down by numerous studios, having to create his own special effects studio just for the film, and having to rewrite the script four times, among many other challenges, George Lucas pulled it off. As Han Solo would say, don't everybody thank me at once. Alright, that wraps it up for part one of this three episode deep dive on the making of Star Wars. Today we discuss the birth of the story, its historical influences, and some of the actors who made it come to life. In part two, we'll explore its cultural impact and in the third and final part, we'll discuss its lasting impact on the film industry as a whole. Thanks again for joining me today. I uh, would love it if you guys made sure to hit that subscribe button and you follow me on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you listen. Uh, please leave a review. Um, that really helps me get discovered uh, and helps the algorithm so we can have more listeners support the show, which helps make it easier for me to create more content for you guys. Uh, as well as please follow me on social. You can uh, reach out to me there if you just want to chat it up if you have some suggestions for the show on future topics or things you want me to dive into in regards to the making of the star wars i'm on instagram at strangest fiction podcast and tiktok at strangest fiction until next time Wait up, oh.